Well, it's about time. Digits. Greetings, everybody. Repeat here from Memphis, Tennessee today with my co-host, Fig. I'm in Denver. There you are, Fig. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. For the whole month. Beautiful. They're making you work it's for your good. money. It's, yeah, that's all right. That's that's what they pay me to do. <laughs> Cheap son of a guns. Man, well, well. Hey, well, we're on double digits. Deace. We are number 10. A lot of podcasts don't make it that far, but uh, we've got a long way to go. We really do. We're just getting warmed uh, up, man. Yeah, absolutely. Although it was tough finding guests this week because uh, uh, our schedules and everything. A lot of people else. are busy. Yeah, well, uh, you know, all my, busy all my go to list. I'm hurt. Well, they were flying. Everybody's flying. <laughs> I don't get it. Summertime, people want to fly. These guys are all out flying people around. It's hard. It's hard. Right? Exactly. Well, Hey, one of the things we have to do uh, this week's show, so this is not only the uh, intro, but it's the show itself. I don't know what the title of this show is going to be. It, it may be, you know, Fig Dogs Are Up or something. I don't know. We'll figure that out. When I post it on the actual website, we'll know for sure. But it'll be something along those lines. But what I was getting ready to say is I'm getting sick of doing this. You may remember last week we dedicated the show to Captain Jimmy Sins, U.S. Navy retired. This week, we're going to dedicate it to Colonel Mitch Triplett. He was our first gun squadron CO when we checked into VMA 223 back in the early 90s. A friend, a professional aviator, a Marine that you always looked up to. And I think it was Luke that said, you know, you, you respected the man, you feared the man, but you were, you could also be friends with the man. He was, he was an amazing mentor and friend and aviator and everything. We lost Trip about a week ago today. So we'll dedicate this show to his memory. He was a wonderful Marine and a, and a good mentor. Fig, I know you've got a story or two about flying with him. He, he was everything. Oh my gosh. He was everything I thought a Marine Corps attack squadron commanding officer would be. And then some. Right. Right. Yeah. Vietnam. He was a Vietnam veteran. Right. As an enlisted, enlisted kid. And then, exactly. uh, and then I came back from Vietnam, went to college, and uh, got a Marine Corps commission. And you know, you know the rest of the story. Yeah, went, as a, went and flew Cobras, flew attack helicopters, then A fours, then Harriers. He retired as a was he the group was he the group commander at one he point? He was the Mag fourteen CO, Marine Air Group fourteen CO when he retired. Yeah, and I want to say two thousand time frame. That's awesome. Maybe a one. Yeah. Last time I saw Trip was at, uh, he had already retired. He was at Slats Change of Command. Slats was uh, giving up the, uh, one, of, one of the support groups at, uh, at Cherry Point. So that's another guy we need to get on here. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Slats, Slats has a story or two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, as we all do, but he's got some, he's a good storyteller. He is. Good storyteller. I was lucky enough to go on the uh, cross country or two with, uh, with trip. He had family back in the Kansas city area. And, and of course, so, so did I. So he and I went there on a cross country, which was uh, just fantastic. He was like, uh, you know, your dad or your uncle or somebody like that. Right. Just very wise, you know, 
he, he didn't, uh, you know, you, you feared him, but at the same time you love being around him. Right. I mean, at least, at least I did. Sure. And you didn't want to get on his bad side. No, definitely not. <laughs> um, but you never, you never had to worry whether you were on his bad side or not. You knew. Oh, oh he tell you right now, right? Yeah. Tell me uh, again, because I, I think you, uh, the day you checked in the squadron. In, yeah, um, in, inadvertently. Tell, so yeah, right, tell yeah. So I, I finished training as a as an inadvertent check in. Right. <laughs> inadvertent check in. That's right. I, I was going next door to BMA two twenty three, which was literally literally right next door. Yeah, a hangar hundred yards away. Room. Yeah. So I'm on my way out the door on a Friday afternoon, and I just go to drop off my OQR, my officer qualification record, possibly my logbooks, all the, all the admin crap you need with you when you go into a new squadron. So I'm just going to poke my head in, drop the admin stuff off, and come back on Monday morning in my class alpha uniform. And I ran into, I'm pretty sure it was Greyhound, was in the ready room and uh, ran into him and talked to him. And he's like, yeah, tri you know, Trip's in his office. Just say hello. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not in uniform. So he goes, oh, don't worry about it. Just just say hello. Um, tell him you're here and go, okay. Uh, so I dropped my stuff off in the S1, the admin shop. And Trip's office was right across the passageway from that. So I wandered over there and uh, he was sitting in his office at his desk by himself. So I, I wrapped on the hatch and introduced myself. Just wanted to say good afternoon, sir. I'm, I'm new, checking into the squadron. And, oh, come on in, sit down. And we had a long chat, to, which included the, uh, uh, the statement to the effect that uh, he was, he was going to put me in the S4, which is the logistics department. And I was the new logistics officer for the squadron. Because as he put it so eloquently, I'd rather have a sister in a brothel than be the S4. He says, but I don't have a sister and I don't have an S4, so you're it. Gee, thank you, sir. <laughs> and then that's awesome. Yeah. And, and you could tell it pained him to bring it up as I'm getting ready to leave the office. He goes, you know, uh, you know, he's sitting back and he's kind of uncomfortable actually even saying anything to me. And he's, ah, you know, repeat, I, ju I just got to say, I, the Marine Corps I joined, one checks into a new squadron or a new battalion or any new unit in their alphas. And I'm like, sir, I was just, saying hi uh, i wasn't checking in <laughs> yeah, i wasn't checking in <laughs> this is goes, me not checking in and he's like yeah don't worry about it don't don't come back in alphas on monday morning i, I don't need to see him but you know i was just i'm like no sir i realized that i had every intention of doing something <laughs> he felt bad saying something but by the same token greyhound set you up he did. <laughs> here take this between the headlights repeat i know he said not to but did you show up in alphas I did not. I don't think I probably showed up in a, in right. a bag, man. Let's go fly. You know, I, I totally see that. I totally see him. Like, I don't want to say this, but I'm going to say it. Yeah. I've got to correct this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm a captain. Awesome. So he, at this point in time already. So, you know, he knows I should know better. Yeah, you should. He, he wants to know better. Yeah. And, and I should have, I should have known better <laughs> that what I had well, was I, set up. I, I don't recall uh, me meeting him the first time and um, i'm sure i was nervous as uh, I'm nervous as hell but i i do remember something very vividly uh I, I remember the first time i flew with him doing a 1v1 uh air to air training mission just he and i we were out over the water in the in area off the coast there 
and we did a neutral setup. So each of us were coming head on, head on each other. And the, you know, as you know, the rules of engagement said, uh, you called your pass left to left or right to right. Cause you didn't want to cross each other's nose at that high rate of speed. That could be bad. Yes. And you were always supposed to have a 500 foot bubble training bubble around your airplane. So you didn't get closer than 500 feet. Uh, you know, I, I guess some people could say, well, each aircraft has a 500 foot bubble. So you're not supposed to be within a thousand feet, which th that never yeah. happened. Well, uh, the farther apart you were when you passed equaled uh, turning rooms. So you didn't want to give your opponent any extra turning room. So you wanted to be right on the 500 foot bubble. Well, apparently my 500 foot bubble was really less, a lot less than 500 feet. And it made him uncomfortable to the point where uh, when, uh, when we were debriefing, he, he says, uh, yeah, about that 500 foot bubble. I think yours is a little small. You need to, widen that bubble out a little bit you, you understand what i'm saying yes sir i do <laughs> absolutely but did you win i did no oh, there you actually <laughs> he he you know i thought i thought because i had been doing a lot of air to air training with Otto, right who was one of our guests already and you know Otto was pretty damn darn good instructor and i thought i was all that in a bag of chips and i was going to show the old man i was going to show the old man how uh you know how his lieutenants can fly and uh you know, he pretty much handed my ass to me. So <laughs> that was a humbling day that's, for more than one reason. That's awesome. Well, there you go. Right. And, yeah. and in those days, I mean, he never played this game though. And, uh, but I'm sure you saw this, right. I mean, there was the tax range we used to go to and out in Yuma and Fallon and that sort of thing. And that was nice. That was expensive equipment. And there was no question in anybody's mind there who got the better of it. But there was also a whole lot of uh, last guy to the chalkboard loses. Coming back from <laughs> I had you here in my sights and you know, yeah, and you were dead right. after that. So you couldn't shoot me, you know, right. <laughs> it's like, the well, little let's look kids. at the tape. Oh, the funny thing is the tape didn't work. Right. <laughs> it jammed up. It wouldn't run. It's like two little oh, kids with all. cap guns. Bang, bang. You're dead. I shot you first. <laughs> so that's, there was some of that going on, but the, the tax range solved that. So, oh, too funny. Well, Trip, we're get, we're gonna miss you. Yeah, indeed. I flew out in the chocolates one day with Trip, and I, I don't remember whether it was ECM or bombing. But I do remember that I hit bingo fuel. Bingo means stop what you're doing, point your nose towards home plate, and land. You, no more, no more training. Training's over. So I hit bingo fuel, and I called bingo, and uh, Trip keeps going. Like, okay, well, he's he's the flight lead. He knows what he's doing, so I'm I'm hanging with him and. It was probably five or six more minutes of turning and burning before we pointed the noses towards home. I was just getting ready to say something and the nose comes up and he calls for approach and we start heading back towards uh, Yuma and we come in and we land. And at some point, I don't know whether it was on the radio or whatever, but I told him, you know, no, that was pretty skosh. I'm, I'm down to like 400 pounds of gas. <laughs> And oh, yeah, I mean, cause I think what was our rule? We had to be on deck. Uh, if we were in the hover, we had to be on deck with like 800 pounds or something like that. Oh my gosh. And, I, yeah. I don't know how you remember that. It, it, it was a low number. It was a really small number, particularly compared to heavies and stuff that we fly today. So we, uh, I land on, I'm like four or 500 pounds of gas and I either tell him in the debrief or something like that. And he's just Oh, why didn't you tell me you got to speak up? You can't do that. You put the airplane in danger. You put yourself in danger. I'm like, 
Skipper, I called it. And fortunately that day, the tape did work because it was right there playing his day on the tape when I called bingo. And he's like, Oh, uh, I must not have heard that. Okay. Be more aggressive with that next time. And that was a good lesson learned. I, after that, if I was bingo, I made very damn sure everybody in the flight knew it and it was time for me to go home. So, and, and if you weren't going home, I'm going home without you. So like, like to get back in one piece and bring the airplane. back. Yeah. So, yeah. So, well, that's, anyway. uh, that, you know, uh, that, that triggered a memory, uh, uh, also this took place in Yuma, uh, Sco- Scooter Evans, Scooter, uh, yeah. was, uh, was, I was flying with him. We were in a two seat, uh, OA four Mike. Uh, this was before I started the Harrier rag. We were out there for a 30 day, uh, uh, we were supporting some kind of little exercise and we were in the chocolates in the restricted area, just North of Yuma doing, uh, close air support. Uh, he was, he was, uh, the FAC, the airborne FAC, fast FAC. Okay. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just flying the plane going where he tells me to go. We had two rocket packs, one under each wing and two drop tanks with 2,000 pounds of fuel in each tank. And the A-4, if you remember, uh, to read the entire amount of fuel, you had to push a button because it had one fuel gauge and it only showed the internal fuel. It was like 4,400 pounds. Right. When you push the button, it would read the fuel in the external tanks. So the procedure was when you saw the fuel gauge come off the peg, meaning you had less than... 4,400 pounds internal, you would ex- push the button and expect to see zero in the external tanks. So we're working a flight of two F-18s and a flight of two A-6s, and we're staying down low, so we're burning a lot of gas. We're resorting around. And uh, I check the, I see the fuel gauge come off the peg, so I check the button, and it stopped at 2,000 pounds. And I went, oh, you don't see that every day. We got a drop tank, a 2,000-pound drop tank that's not yeah. transferring, obviously. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm trying to get Scooter's attention, talk to him. And he's busy because he's talking to two different flights and he's talking to a fact on the ground. And he's like, not now, not now. And I'm like, hey, Scooter, I think we got it. Not now, not now, damn it. Well, uh, also, whilst we were out there sh- shooting rockets, uh, I, I guess uh, one of the, we were shooting, t- you know, two rockets at a time, one from each pack, supposedly. Right. Well, uh, a lot of times we were only getting one rocket to fire and this is going to come back in a minute it's going to come full circle and you'll you'll get the picture so finally i get scooters i think let's say the bingo was like two thousand pounds from where we were we're down to like 1800 pounds and i'm like scooter scooter we got a problem he goes wait what are you talking about i go we got a drop tank that's not transferring we're at we're now we're at bingo and he goes why didn't you say something i've been trying to say something so we're climbing climbing up high uh, to make it back to Yuma. And so we're going through this thing and sure enough, uh, you know, drop tanks, not transferring, didn't transfer. And then come to find out, yeah, we never shot one rocket off that rocket pack uh, that was on the same side. Ugh. And so we had been trimming, trimming, trimming and noticed that now, you know, the stick was way displaced. And so uh, a quick check of the checklist. We're like, I think we're at asymmetrical landing limits. So call back to the base and, had one of the guys get the big Nate Tops manual out and says, oh, yeah, you guys are way out of asymmetrical landing limits. Because, um, you know, the A4 had kind of stubby wings. And and the main gear, I know this, the main gear was nine feet apart. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Stubby. Yeah. 
short, close together. Yeah. Right. That was, that was one of the nuke bombers. It was meant to go, but never really needed to come back. <laughs> Thank goodness. So they said, okay, go out to uh, the pre-planned jettison area and just punch off that rocket pack, which was 500 pounds and you'll be back in asymmetrical landing limits. So, okay. So we, and that area was also in a restricted area. It was West, I'm sorry, East of Yuma. I think it was 2301 East of Yuma down by the Mexican border. So, and this is by the way, August. It's about two o'clock in the afternoon. So it's starting to get warm. Yeah. It's a little warm there. If you can imagine. So we go out there, we set all the switches up properly to adjust in that rocket pack off and the A4, it didn't have a button. It had a T handle that you would pull to jettison. Right. So we set the switches to jettison that rocket pack off that station, pulled the handle, nothing happened. So we're like, okay, uh, the rocket pack didn't come off. They said, okay, uh, set it up, drop the drop tank. And you know, that, that that's, that's 2000 pounds. You'll be way good. So we reset all the switches, pulled the handle, nothing. Drop tank didn't come off either. Now we're down to like 900 pounds showing on the fuel, on the fuel gauge. And by the way, I think that if I remember right, that was, uh, a, a plus or minus 300 or four, 400 pound gauge. Accuracy was not its. Yeah. <laughs> so they said, okay, well, uh, we're going to go ahead and launch the SAR Hilo. You guys uh, go ahead and jump out of that airplane out there in the pre planned jettison slash ejection area. I'm thinking, can't you launch a tanker? <laughs> right. Well, I'm thinking, this is not good. I mean, there's not, you know, ejection's great, great if, you know, you're on fire or, you know, yeah. you're out of control, but you jumping out of a perfectly flyable airplane, there's a lot of things that can not go well in an ejection. And now Absolutely. I'm starting to think about all that. Like, okay, shit, this is, plus I'm looking down at the desert, you know, it's 150 degrees. So we cleaned up the cockpit, took our knee boards off, took everything, shoved it under the ejection seat. We had this Okay, so he says, you hold the stick, I'll pull the handle, we'll count to three, one, two, three, stay in a good position, you know, stay tucked in, and we'll, and we'll go. And I'm, I'm looking at the ground, and I'm thinking, this is, this is just so bad. And without saying anything to Scooter, I thought, what the hell, what, what's going to hurt? I reached up and grabbed that T-handle one more time and pulled it, and that thing rolled so fast that, uh, of course, it did anyway, you know, but yeah. when you go full throw, there's no way to keep from banging your helmets off the canopy. So bang, we banged both our helmets off the canopy, rolled one, one time, stopped, looked over, the drop tank was gone. Nice. And I said, Scooter, the drop tank's gone. And we watched it hit the ground and burst open, you know, and we're like, holy shit. So full power, stood the airplane on its tail, climbing straight towards Yuma, telling everybody to get the hell out of our way. And uh, the short of the story is we, we made it. Uh, taxi do the taxied into the ramp we had, of course had a cast of thousands waiting for us when we got in there and before we got out of the jet got back on the ground there the uh our uh, plane captain was already taking off panels underneath that wing and and uh they said hey come here and check this out so there was a wire bundle that was uh, had a connection the connection had a neural a knurled uh uh screw that yeah. held the two together right well it had back it had backed off and that wire bundle had, I don't know, maybe a 10 cannon plug uh, connection. And it was half undone. And I guess that last time I pulled it, there was just enough of a connection that that stray Tron ran across there and fired the squib and punched that tank off. Otherwise, we would have given back a jet update to the taxpayers. Brutal. Yeah. There we go. Not that A4s were that expensive, but they were fun to fly, though. They were fun to fly. Great fun airplanes. 
but um yeah no kidding and that out in the chocolates yeah that was fun flying out there i always thought of it as uh you know we went out there quite a bit and we dropped heavy weapons napalm rock guy um, stuff like that and the guys that lived out there and worked out there never seemed to use the heavy weapons range nearly as often or as much as we did it was i think it's like i was liking it to living in new york city and they were going to the empire state building or, right. or the statue <laughs> of liberty you know because it's always there <laughs> yeah so you go see the statue no nah, it's there anytime i want to go so uh, but we, I think we wound up using the human ranges more than the guys that actually lived there and, and worked there. So, um, yeah, well, it seems like we went every six months, right? Yeah. To, to get, because we really didn't have a place on the East coast to drive, to, to drop live, live ordinance. No, there were very few and far between. Um, although I did try to do it at, uh, Quantico for TBS one time. I went up there with Greyhound to drop some 500 pounders and, uh, uh, I, I got hung ordinance there and we had to go in. They won't let you land at Quantico with hung ordinance. We had to bingo right. over to Fax river to, uh, to land with live ordinance. But, um, I was, have a, I have a yeah. great story. Go, you just, just triggered a memory. There you go. Same mission, same mission. Go yeah. to, go to Quantico, drop bombs for the lieutenants. Yeah. And, uh, the plan was if you couldn't get the bombs off for some reason, uh, and we didn't have enough fuel to go back with the bombs, you're going to go to Pax river. And, and they had ordinance men over there. He could save the ordinance. So that was the plan. And, uh, and so we get up to Quantico and it's really low overcast. We, we tried to make a couple runs and, uh, it's just, we weren't even going to be, be able to do a, a, you know, low angle yeah. uh, delivery. So, uh, okay, we're going to go to, we're going to go to, uh, Pax river and get fuel and get the ordinance safed up and then go back to Cherry Point. Well, Pax river was below men's. Rut row. It was less than two. It was less than 200 and a half or, or whatever our men's were. I think it was 200 and a half, right? Yeah. I think we yeah, had doing a PAR, which is a precision approach radar, which is a controller guided approach. So Pax River was socked in. So they say, what, what's your intentions? And I said, well, uh, uh, option B is go to Andrews. They had, you know, go to the Andrews, the Navy side. Okay. So we're, we're flying up the Potomac river, getting radar vectors, basically right up the Potomac river, fly to two carrying live ordinance. And, uh, as we're approaching, uh, the DC area, the wet, the ceiling's coming up higher and higher. And we're, we're probably at 3000 feet ish, uh, with excellent visibility. And, uh, I, I can't remember who I had with me, but he was a fairly new guy. And he was like, Hey, I can see, I can see the, I can see the Washington monument. I can see the Capitol. And I said, Oh, Hey, watch this. I said, Hey, uh, approach could you give us a tour of the monuments today and they go yeah no problem so the radar vectors <laughs> i know right I'm, radar I'm slapping my forehead on the video folks. Oh. <laughs> oh. the radar vector is around you know, downtown uh washington dc area and uh we're having a little sightseeing tour uh, at the same time the both of us are carrying uh, massive amounts of live ordinance uh well okay but the best part of the story is we land over at uh we land over at uh, Andrews and we taxi the Navy side and, and they said, you know, uh, well, they started querying us. Why, you know, why are you coming here? And I said, well, well we're diverting here. Uh, we couldn't get into packs River. we got live ordinance and we need to get saved. Well, uh, the engines hadn't even spooled down all the way yet. And uh, uh, I see this Air Force staff car traveling at a high rate of speed across the ramp. 
and I get out of the jet and this, uh, air force captain in his, in his blue, you know, uh, alpha, whatever they call it, you know, with their suit, this coat and everything, he gets right. out, puts his wheel hat on and he is red and these veins are sticking out. He says, you can't be here. You can't be here with a live ordinance. You, you, you know, he starts, uh, kind of popping a gasket. And I, I, uh, I gave him the hand, the palm <laughs> to his face. Yeah. I just gave him the palm and he shut up and I said, uh, I, I just repeat, hey, this is the Audubon number. You got a problem with this? You call this number. This is that's my commanding officer. You can you can uh, tell him how horrible this is. Uh, have a nice day. <laughs> nice. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That made Navy guys come up, safe to ordinance. We got fuel and we left, and I never heard a word. Gave him the Heisman pose, and there you went. That thing. Thinking of that now, so there you go. I'm in uh, uh, South Weymouth before it closed. I. I I go into Navy South Weymouth with turnip just to get some gas. And it was a PPR field, but, um, I, I knew somebody that was at 322, which was the Marine A4 reserve squadron in South Weymouth. So I just called him up and said, yeah, there's, there's nobody there this weekend, but, uh, you guys can go get some gas. Cause the, the squadron was out in Yuma dropping bombs or, or somewhere anyway. So we, uh, we roll in there to get gas, pull up on their ramp and, and shut down and, to enlist a guy's marshal us in and about the time we're done shutting down and I'm, I'm taking off my harness and my G suit and all that. This guy comes marching over to turnip and he's all pissed off. <laughs> and, and all I do is I see turnip point to me. <laughs> Doesn't say a word to him. Just points to me. Like, yeah, talk to him. Thanks a lot. You know? So he choose my, you can't just show up here unannounced or, and I'm like, yeah, no, I talked to some people and it's, it's all good to go. And, uh, he, he, he crept all over us for a while. Anyway, we got our gas, we got back in the airplane and we left. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> when I passed on what happened, it got to the 322 commanding officer and I, I should have framed it. We got a formal written letter of apology for the lack of hospitality we received. Wow. Showing up on the 322 ramp. Yeah. It was, uh, it was really right. nice. It was really professional. Um, and then that guy actually went on to help get me hired at the major that I'm at. Well, how so, about that? Yeah. So he's a good guy. We need to get him on call sign Guido. Do I know him? Uh, Guido? I don't know. What did he ever know. fly Harriers? No. Cause no, I know he, he was like, we know Guido. Okay. Yeah. No, he was not a Harrier guy. So anyway, but Maybe I'm uh, a gangster. Yeah, there you go. Thinking yeah. gangster, not Guido. Yeah, it's about the same stature as gangster, but uh, all right. So there right. you go. But uh, that reminded me, you know. So I told it earlier on this. I think I told it on the show about how I'm coming in one night to uh, Boston in a heavy, and they're talking to American Eagle in front of us. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I need you down fast. Yeah. And the <laughs> reply eventually was, uh, "I'm coming out of the sky like a dock in a bonanza. You know, I can't give you any more." Um, but great. So, yes, that reminds me of funny radio stuff that I've heard. One I wanted to share with uh, people was I'm coming out of Indianapolis one day going down to Memphis. So it's not a very long flight, but I'm talking to Indy Center and Indianapolis Center Controller hands me off to the next sector. And he says, and when you get over there, uh, say hello to Thumper for me, will you? Like, will do. So next sector frequency, I dial it up. And let me, let me back up for just a second and describe uh, the way the centers uh, in this country are laid out. There's, there's about nine or 10 different centers. There's LA center, Albuquerque center, uh, Fort Worth center, Minneapolis, Denver, all these cities, you know, have, have centers, not, not every city in the country, but there's about 10. 
Um, but the way this each center is laid out is the different sectors are in, in like branches off of a hallway. As you, as you go down that hallway, there's radar rooms that they go into. And so these guys all, they can shout to each other. They can throw stuff over the, uh, over the dividers at each other if they want to. So they're in very close proximity, but generally speaking, they can't see uh, and speak to each other unless they're actually picking up the phone or talking on their intercom, that sort of thing. So that being said, he goes, say hello to Thumper for me. I check in on the next frequency, uh, you know, flight 325, flight level 320, flight level 320, Roger, uh, ND Center, Roger. I go, Thumper, is that you? He comes back. He goes, yeah, haha, very funny. Says nothing else. I said, well, I have to ask. He goes, all right, well, yesterday, the guy on the previous sector frequency and I were walking down the passageway in opposite directions. And it was half of it was uh, taped off because the custodian was, was mopping it. And so we could only use one half. Well, we both had our heads down in the clipboard and we smacked right into each other. He says, I wound up on the floor. And I got, uh, I got some stitches over my eye. I just don't say anything for a second. I'm just kind of sitting there thinking, and I go, and I come up on the radio and go, e and you're keeping airplanes apart. He goes, not to worry. <laughs> I'm using my good eye today. <laughs> a few seconds after that, you know, Delta comes on and you know, Delta 417 checking in flight level 310, a little scared, <laughs> a little concerned. <laughs> yeah. So, oh man, that's awesome. Well, okay, so you, you triggered a memory. Uh, we when we were deployed to Iwakuni on that Westpac deployment, uh, we were uh, I was out flying a low level flight of four. Um, we were coming off the low level, and then we were going to climb up high to get somewhere. You know, usually yeah. we had to it was a high low high profile, and uh, you had to climb up high to save gas and get somewhere. So we're, uh, I was the division lead, but I had another guy that was actually leading because he was in training to, to be a division lead. And so we're come off the low level. We're going really fast. So we stood the airplanes on the tail and we're climbing and in the process of climbing, contacted some Japanese controller and got up uh, IFR uh, instrument flight rules, climb up to like, say, uh, 24,000 feet. And I noticed as we're passing about 20,000 feet, um, we were climbing still at a very high rate of speed, very high rate of speed, nose pointed way up high. I'm, I'm flying formation on him and I'm trying to keep track of where the other two are. And I'm looking the HUD and we're really climbing fast. And I figured there was no way we were going to level at uh, 24,000. So on the, on the back radio, the number two radio that we used to talk internally amongst the flight, I said to our guy, I, I think it was hammer. I said, Hey, hammer choked the choked the parrot, which is a uh, code for shut the mode C off which was the altitude reporting part of the transponder and uh, so we did we went blowing through twenty four thousand feet like nothing and ballooned a couple thousand feet up and we're starting back down and this japanese controller comes on and says oh dog one nine i see you <laughs> i'm like well shit well maybe he thought choke the parrot meant something else i don't know <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> Oh man, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. The, uh, thinking, thinking of the, the squawk, the mode squawk and all that, I actually worked with a guy who was a retired Boston center supervisor and then came to work with us at the majors. And we had 
something come up one day and I was talking to him. Actually, I was trying to get him to work in the union safety office because we were trying to put ASAP in. And that was like the number one thing, right? It was vi- altitude violations, altitude yeah. bust. Easy. So we Easy. wanted him to be our interv- interface with the FAA for altitude busts. Uh, but that's when he told me, so any pilots listening to the show, he told me this piece of advice. He goes, if you ever get questioned on your altitude, report the altitude you're supposed to be at and then fix it. He goes, because if they're showing you're at 332, 300, and you're supposed to be at 32 even, he goes, if you report 32 even, they can't write you a ticket based on what their equipment says. They have to believe what you report. He goes, so report where you're supposed to be at and fix it and leave it. <laughs> leave it at that don't say nothing like, well, okay discretion the better part of valor <laughs> yes so yes yeah so <laughs> and, and thinking of discretion being the better part of valor i remember I, I don't remember it was a navy commander or a marine lieutenant colonel begging for discretion one one night in a in a jacksonville was a, o club it was a marine lieutenant colonel yeah okay but he, he wasn't yeah. an aviator he was uh he was a ground officer, but he was in utilities. Yeah. Yeah. Are you talking okay. about the, uh, I am, the I am. We'll get into course. it here. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so we're in the, we're in the bar. We had gone down where it was pre Iwakuni and we, there were several of us that our, our swim calls had come up for renewal. Right. And that's the reason we were there. So, uh, for, for those that are wondering what the swim calls are, if you remember the show, uh, an officer and a gentleman, uh, they, they put them in the dunker. They had to strap into this thing and they, and they slam them down into the pool and turn them upside down. The one that they don't show in that movie though, was the helo dunker. And we had to go into that thing. And this was like a great, it looked like a 55 gallon drum with holes cut in the side of it, like four small holes and one big hole. And the big hole was supposed to be the door on the side of the helicopter and the small holes were supposed to be the windows. So what they would do is they'd take you and they'd drop you into this tank that was probably about 20 feet deep and they'd drop it down about 10 feet and roll the thing inverted. And then you had to unstrap from your seat and you had to do it four times. As I recall, the first time just, uh, unstrap and go out the nearest window. The second time you had to unstrap and everybody had to go out the door. Then they got, they said, Oh, that was too easy. Now you go down the third time and you're wearing blinders. So you can't see anything. And right. so the third time you have to go out the window next to you. And then the fourth time it's like, well, it's still too easy. Everybody has to go out the door with the blinders on. So you're underwater 10 feet, you're, you're blindfolded and you have to get out the door and hope that steel toed boots don't kick you in the nose. And you're upside down by the way. <laughs> oh yeah. You're upside, upside down. down. Yeah. <laughs> Holding your breath. Uh, I, I used Getting to kicked in the face by your buddies. Yep. I used to count to about 30, you know, cause I was, I was, seemed, I always drew the short strong was the furthest guy away from the door. So I'd sit oh, there yeah. and, and yeah. count to about 30 before I tried to get out that door. But, uh, so we all had to do that. You had to do it every four years to maintain your, uh, your ejection seat slash swim qualification, uh, in the airplane. So we, uh, we're down there for that and we're over at, at the O club and we're sitting around. It was, the golf, it was the golf course. It was the golf course. It was the golf course club. Yeah. Golf course the, bar the, because that's the only thing was open. It was a Sunday. That's right. Yeah. We true. flew down there on Sunday yeah. and uh, yeah. when the training was Monday morning. Right. So we're hooting and hollering and having a good time. You know, there's no party. Well, we'll make our own damn party. What do you think of that? And some, uh, uh, I don't know, there were probably six or seven of us. And uh, uh, was a, there were six, there were six of us. Okay. So it was, so, uh, it, was it was a gaggle. Yeah. It was a gaggle of Marines. 
<laughs> so this, uh, I, I think she was a Navy lieutenant. This, uh, oh. Anyway, there's a female in the bar and she decides, all right, I'm going to have some fun with these Marines. And she sends us over like a round of pink ladies. Well, well, hold on. You're, you're missing some key. You're missing some key. Yeah. So what was, we were minding our own business. So there was maybe two tables worth of golfers that were sitting in there, you know, having a cold one, telling lies. And then there was uh, the three people sitting at the bar. There's two females. And then that Marine in the utility uniform, the two females were in civilian clothes. And then we were sitting, six of us were sitting off to the side over away from everybody having our own little party. Right. Uh, so the blonde, there was a blonde that was sitting there. She got up and walks over and she starts talking to us. And she, she had a really annoying, nasally, high pitched, mousy voice. Yeah. Right. And some antagonism going on. Yeah. Uh, and so we were all, of course, wearing our flight suits because we just got out of the jets. Yeah. Threw our, threw our bag in the BOQ and walked across the street to the club, uh, the golf course before it closed because we wanted to get food and beer. So she's, well, uh, anyway. yeah, she's talking to us and she's really, uh, kind of annoying. And, um, finally she looks at one of our name tags and sees this, you know, we were all captains, I think. And she says, Oh, well, you're a captain and you're a captain and you're a captain. And she says, well, I'm an army captain. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but I said something that offended her. And I really did mean to offend her because I wanted her to go away. So that's what started. She, she went back over in a huff to the bar and right. I could see her chewing, chewing the ear on the, the Marine Colonel over there. So it wasn't too long after that, that the bartender or the waitress brought us some Shirley temples or something, yeah, right? Shirley so temples, something pink ladies, something like that. Yeah. Like, you know. With, with the, with a message of, Hey, uh, uh, the, uh, young lady at the bar uh, would like to send you the guys. These, she thinks you've had, uh, uh, too much to drink or enough to drink yeah. or something like that. Right. Cause the, you Marines can't handle your, your beer or whatever. That's what started the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. So fig is prepared. Well, so this escalated, right? So yeah. we, we, Shot over. <laughs> we sent, we, we sent back, we told her we'd like to buy her a big glass of milk because she probably should have something other than alcohol because she was annoying in it. So we watched this whole transpire. The bartender poured the milk in a, in like a champagne flute and sent it to her. Uh, and she, boy, she sent daggers at us from across the bar. We were like, Oh boy. <laughs> well, this, this, this goes on and it escalates. It goes back and forth. Well, our food, our food had showed up. Uh, oh, our, our food had showed up about that time. And, and when, when she sent, uh, that glass of milk in the champagne flute back to us. It had a condom over the top of it and whipped cream and uh, some, whatever she, whatever else was at the bar accoutrements on top of the whipped yeah, cream. She, yeah. she said, uh, send it back with the waitress. And she says, well, the young lady would like you guys to have this now because uh, whatever. Right. Yeah. Well, I took the condom, I took that champagne flute and dumped everything into the condom and tied the condom off like a water balloon and laid it. I took my hat. I think I had a brat. I took the brat off the bun, put the, put the condom full of milk on the bun and then dressed it up with relish and, and everything else and sent it back on a paper plate to her uh, saying, well, you know, this is for you now. And it comes back with everything at the bar, you know, limes and lemons and cherries and all kinds of shit on top. 
well, while all this is going on, um, it, you know, it hits me. I, I am, uh, I'm re- I need to, uh, I need to, have, weight. <laughs> I, I need to drop, I need to drop some weight. And so it just hits me as it, as this comes back, this plate with the bun and the condom full of milk and all this shit on it that, it, I mean, it comes back. That was a poor, uh, use of words comes back. And I said, I got it. And I stood up uh, with that plate and I walked across the bar into the bathroom and, uh, well, basically what I did was I, I uh, we know what you did. I made a turd. <laughs> I made a turd and I picked that turd up out of the toilet and I laid it on the bun and it was beautiful because it hung off either end of the bun by about an inch. So I'm standing there at the sink, washing my hands, looking at this absolute work of art, thinking this is going to be great. My plan was, I was going to cover it with some paper towels from the bathroom, go back to the table and have the waitress carry this over to the bar and deliver it to this blonde. I recall you coming back to the table with it covered with a napkin or a paper towel. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So as I'm walking straight to our table from the, from the bathroom with this plate covered up by the paper towel, the colonel gets off the bar stool and he joins my wing as I'm walking over the table. And as I sit down, he stands over the table and he says, gentlemen, you've won. Everybody in this bar knows what's under that napkin. He goes, tomorrow morning, the Admiral's going to know what's under that napkin. And do not, I repeat, do not uncover that plate. And by the way, while he's talking, I'm looking down at it and the the paper towel had started to settle down (laughs) and there was a big, long grease spot. (laughs) of the turd on top of that and so uh, that was the end of it because uh, yeah. uh you know that was the end of it i uh, i you know i went back to the bathroom and put it in the toilet and flushed it and, and so that that uh, that that event became known as the the fig dog yeah if the i remember fig right. dogs now being served <laughs> don't serve it i beg of you and, he was, and and discretion, like you said, discretion was the better part of valor on that, and it did not need to be served to uh, to serve its purpose. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. man, you're a sick bastard, Fig. Uh, yeah. I love uh, it. it. It's, it's, it's a true story. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not proud of it, but I am always glad to tell that story because it has a moral. There you go. I'm not sure what it is, but it probably has a moral. I didn't do it. In the meantime, you can get us with some feedback with any questions or comments. You can reach uh, fig at fig at so there I was dot us or me by emailing repeat at so there I was dot us repeat spelled R E P E T E. You can reach us at so there I was dot us slash Facebook or so there I was dot us slash Twitter. We love your comments. We love your feedback and we really appreciate it. In the meantime, everybody stay safe and check six.